Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Page. I am Frank, your historian, always on call, always online, bordering <laughs> on the edge of my sanity, but still doing okay. Joined, as always, by yeah. my great, great friend, Bruno. Yeah, we are both on the brink of on the brink of sanity that's that's how we say it i think that's uh, one way of saying it <laughs> because yeah just doing university at uh distance learning and distant how, how is it called in english you know yeah i think distant it's distant uh, yeah something of the sort i think like online having our classes turned online people will get the idea yeah. even if we miss the yeah. direct translation no, yeah, but that's it today. Helping, trying to help our brains, uh, we are already tormented, and then we decide to to <laughs> to read and talk about one of the most confusing and insane and metaphysical and bizarre works of one of the most like almost witch esque figures of Brazilian literature which is Clarice de Spectre. So yeah, maybe I think I will already try to present her, um, yeah, introduce her it. a bit. So I'm actually just reading her Wikipedia, but so actually she is a Brazilian novelist who was born in in Podolia in western Ukraine. Shaya Pin Kazonsovna, Pinkasovna, the specter, but her Brazilian name is like quite a specter. She was born in December 10, 1920, and died in December 9, 1977. So, yeah, she died really young, and she also had an accident, a fire accident near her, her death as well. So, she and she had a, a complete like occultist persona almost like a i don't know like a female alistair crowley of brazil something like that but much more decent yeah yeah <laughs> and yeah so the book which we will be talking is a book with six short stories it's called family ties uh she wrote it in rio de janeiro in 1960 so at that time she was really already influenced by authors like i think she she has a lot to do with beckett in a sense like the 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 way that she tries to do the the flux of conscience and and the sort of narrative that is tied to the moment when it's happening almost like uh, it's almost like the the literary work becomes almost like a movie. It's really it's really intense, and that's why I think that her her short stories and well, all, almost all of her literature, it, it's so divides. Uh, it, it divides lots of lots of opinions because yeah. Yeah. there there are people that read and say like, oh, I can't understand shit, and I don't want to read this anymore. And there are people like myself and Frank who, <laughs> who like to suffer a bit more. But <laughs> there's something metaphysical and almost unexplicable about her her writings that turns a little strange key in our brains. And I don't know, I mean, I, I love this discharge story that we're going to read right now, uh, that we're going to discuss, which is called Love. Yes. Uh, before I give a short summary to the short story, because it's one of those things that you experience. And fortunately, yeah. I found a version in English, so I will quote from that if need be. But I'll also put yeah. it in the show notes if you want to have a quick look and a quick read. It's not particularly long, but very, very yeah. intense. And Exactly. It's interesting because even amongst like uh, others who are interested in literature, like friends of ours, or friends of yours that became my friends too, it, she is divisive more than other writers of Brazilian literature. She really is like, yeah, yeah not, not, I don't, not a big fan, and or like, even if they, okay, I get it, but yeah. 
but for us, like she's she's brilliant, and like it's the yeah. metaphysical embedded with a very real social analysis and portrayal. So we're yeah. gonna get to that, but other works of hers, which we'll probably get to eventually, because she's worth it, approach this subject as well. And it, it's just so it's really intense, really subtle, and really careful writing. Like I think that's something that. Well, she did master, like, the unreliable narrator multiple times, so that's yeah. that's always interesting. And in this short story in particular, we're going to go through various themes, and we will mention a couple of them later, but just from the ideas, you can grasp a lot of what she's going for. And there are other works of hers which we have discussed the idea of doing as well, which are, like, her chronicles. Uh, which are a particular yeah. form. I, I need to do some more research to figure out how widespread or not this sort of literary genre is widespread yeah, in the world. other places or not. <laughs> yeah. But just yeah. as a brief summary, because it's sort of relevant to this short story as well and her other writings, it's basically a sort of like, oh, this is realistic. It, it's almost a short story, but even shorter, but with a very, like, oh, this is a daily setting, it's something that we can all experience yeah. in one way or another, but it has, like, a particular insight, and that can be, like, comical, tragic, dramatic, reflexive, or just plain old weird, but yeah. it, it has this sort of contemporary, like, daily life element to it. And yeah. this is almost sort of, like, prefigured in this short story, uh, with a very... Like, through all the weirdness, uh, her stories carry very concrete yeah. elements, uh, which we'll see. Like this, there's a very strange aspect to this short story, but it's very much like grounded in reality, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So love, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love is about the story of it's a day and the reflection in a day of this particular woman, mother, housewife, of a sort of middle class, from several context clues, Brazilian woman. <laughs> and yeah. the, the reflection, the epiphany that she has in a particular day, is she watches a blind man chewing gum. And <laughs> she's sort of like, I'm not going to say snap, but it's sort of like... It's like she opens the lid. Exactly. A, a, a flowing mass of gunk which she didn't know was inside her yeah it's basically <laughs> like she opens a door she didn't know she was opening and that she had like in a way sealed away in her mind yeah exactly everything's like oh oh no <laughs> and yeah. that whole reflection takes a day as she thinks about the old man chewing gum and she like gets lost in her thoughts then ends up being in heading to the botanical gardens and having a whole yeah. range of reflections there specific to the gardens. And yeah. as she returns home, she's still sort of uh, wading through these thoughts, but they also like end up coming together and being quite literally snuffed out. And we do get the impression that like this reflection on her condition as a mother, as a housewife, as a being in the universe, as the way she organizes and lives her life. All this that opens up to her in this one day that she hadn't really thought so before her like teen teenage years, uh, it all yeah. is it, it all comes crashing down upon her and is properly yeah. and quite uh <laughs> I feel like it's a brutal ending, quite brutally snuffed out. The, the metaphor is exactly that of a flame being snuffed Yeah, out. And, and I think that Parisi makes the important decision to say that this sort of, this sort of way of putting away these this feelings and this nature of being a, a, a child or being an adolescent, a teen. And she uses the word like this adulthood, this this sort of yes. notion of 
seriousness and of loss of uh, even loss of love it, it becomes more like a engineered life an engineered way of living exactly and, and and that's exactly what frank was saying like when she she feels again the sort of wave of feelings from her early days it's almost uncontrollable yeah it's uh, it's something and it's interesting because uh, bruno and i were talking about this that we read this story when we were like in high school so yeah several years ago like by now i think that's six years ago yeah uh, which isn't that long but it's quite a while and yeah. if like whole sections of it especially at the start that we were like wait did we read this story like how could we have missed this and it's exactly ah oh, rereading is so interesting sometimes yeah and i'm just gonna quote two little bits that like portray how this character interacted with the world and why how this reflection came about this epiphany which is like sort of the key word about the whole thing about the process yeah. of the novel why that was so shocking and how that shook her to her core really yeah so she seemed to have discovered that everything could be perfected to each thing she could lend a harmonious appearance Life could be wrought by the hand of man. Deep down, Anna had always needed to feel the firm root of things. And this is what a home bewilderingly, bewilderingly had given her. Through winding paths, she had fallen into a woman's fate, with the surprise of fitting into it as if she had invented it. The man she'd married was a real man. The children she'd had were real children. Her former youth seemed as strange to her as one of life's illnesses. She had <laughs> gradually emerged from it to discover that one could also live without happiness. Abolishing it, she had found a legion of people, previously invisible, who lived the way a person works, with persistence, continuity, joy. What had happened to Anna before she had a home was forever out of reach, a restless exaltation so often mistaken for unbearable happiness. In exchange, she had created something at last comprehensible, an adult life. That was what she had wanted and chosen. <laughs> That's fucking heavy. <laughs> yeah. So, shall I add, I'll, I'll add the next little f sentence, because it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's the punch yeah. in the guts that you mentioned yeah. to me in, as we were talking before. The only yeah. thing she worried about was being careful during that dangerous hour of the afternoon when the house was empty and needed nothing more from her, the sun high, the family members scattered to their duties. As she looked at the clean furniture, her heart would contract slightly in astonishment. In other words, once all the work was done and, like, everything was clean and she had done her housely duties, what, what was left to her? Yeah. I.e., nothing. As as you said, she has no interiority. She has no, no. personality. She has no like. She doesn't have any depth. She's just a, a tool of living inside this the along these people which she didn't see, which uh, surrendered happiness. Yes. That's, there's something so... <sighs> it, it... <laughs> it hits home. It hits home in a, in a way of you looking at yourself and you're looking at your life and your failures and the relationships that you, that you went through. And, and then it just like, it makes sense, this feeling of, of incomprehension and and almost like this feeling of of this this is status quo. Yeah, yeah, because like again, it, it's it, it really hits you hard because yeah, she the the way it's narrated, like she she had wanted and chosen, and in a way she did because yeah. Yeah, our times aren't that different. 
like we were talking like this book is from like 1960, I believe. And yeah, 1960. Yeah, perfect. But and in a way, like that was the life one had to lead to live. Like yeah. you, otherwise there was like social death. It, it was very difficult to leave other different types of lives. People did, of yeah. course, especially 60s yeah. onwards. But it, yeah. it it was not. It's not a simple thing. It's, it's not an easy yeah. thing at all. Exactly. But even today, if you think about it, I mean, exactly. Uh, like if you if you come to your parents and say that you don't don't want to have kids and want to uh, die single and, and fuck it, it, it will be. I guarantee, at least in Brazil, it will be, uh, it won't be well received in like nine out of ten families, basically. Exactly. Ex absolutely. Like in most of the world, I think it's what exactly. like we were talking about in the uh, in the poetry club last month about yeah. how like there is, and I'm gonna go off on this slightly, but. Even if, no, like, no. You're, you're single and you want to live your own life and you can be like, oh, uh, that's one of the reasons why <laughs> why there's quite a bit of prejudice when people, like, say that they are asexual because, like, what's wrong with you that, like, oh, you want to be single? Like, yeah, like, that that's just what I want to do and that's fine and there's nothing wrong with me. Uh, yeah. And, like, again, you being single, like, you don't need to be asexual to want to be single, but... And again, those things aren't exclusive, but it's one of the ways that like there is an, there still is a great deal of pressure to like, oh, what is the right thing to be and do in the relationship that you should have with what types of people and with children and this number of children and to live in these places. And these are the duties that you will have as a woman or as a man and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is a short story that, like, really hits, like, yeah, this is what she had wanted and chosen. And in a way, she yeah. did, but the story is very aware that, like, yeah, no, she, she kind of didn't. She, these things don't exist in a vacuum. And exactly. the way, like, she, she reordered her entire life to this after her youth speaks really directly to these social and traditional pressures. That, like, yeah. oh, you, you can have some again, inverted commas, fun when you're young, but when when you're an adult, you're an adult. You need to embrace misery for the rest of your life. You need to <laughs> abolish happiness. Yeah. And there is something unbelievably cool. It's really cold, and it's very real. That's kind of yeah. the thing. Like This whole story feels very real. Like This, this whole thing could have happened, and in a way it probably does happen. Because yeah, it happens like every day, probably. Yeah, how do That's... you cope with this <laughs> level of social and economical pressure? Oh, you abolish yourself. You wrap yourself up entirely on, like, oh, your job or your career. Yeah. Or, like, in this case, like, being a mother, being a housewife, doing the things in the home, doing the shopping. And, like, this is what gives her life meaning. And, yeah. well, for obvious reasons, like, none of these things give one's life meaning. They can grant additional meaning, but they're not essence in itself. Not even children, yeah. really. Like, th that's a whole thing. Like, oh, you can have children and not, like, have this sort of, oh, this motherly instinct or whatever. Like, you can care, you can love them, but it's like, it can be different. And yeah. even then, like, you don't need your interiority, your meaning, your essence can only be granted by yourself. Exactly. In the meantime, we have an entire socio-economical and political system that tells you that, like, no, what gives you meaning is all these little things, especially work. Do your work, do your job. Like, that is what will give you meaning. If you don't have it, yeah. oh, too bad, go fuck yourself. But as long as you <laughs> have this, th then you're good. And, and this is what yeah. matters, nothing else. And then you yeah. have, like, that's the main pressure. And then you have the others, oh, start have a relationship with X, Y, and Z. Have this many children. Live in these places. Yeah. Go go to these places. Consume certain types of culture, literature, and everything else, basically. Exactly. 
And while the story doesn't portray all of them, it seems to portray like these larger ones and yeah. include all these others in little like insights or directions that we can yeah. clearly and, and definitely follow it because yeah. they are important to be followed. So maybe we should talk about the two moments, as you said, from the short story, which is the moment from the the blind old man and the moment in the botanical garden. Because I, I think you made a, an interesting distinction that we should talk a, a, a little bit, like explore a bit more. Okay. Uh, also, I appreciated you pushing us along. Otherwise, we'd, <laughs> we'd literally stay on that one point for the whole episode. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking exactly about that. <laughs> and of course, it's going to come back. But, you know, we, we, we yeah, there's yeah. a lot we can cover. So let's try our best. Yeah. So as I mentioned, there are these two moments. And this first one, and I'm, ge I'm getting a lot of this from the show story, but trying to fill in the gaps the be as best I can. Yeah. And it feels to me like that this moment by the descriptions, by the feelings that were told, is that it's a moment of, like, she has a lot of pity for this, like, this blind man and how, like, the way he's behaving and whatnot, that he is, like, he's a blind man, so he has a level of disability there. And yeah. at the same time, he's doing something incredibly sort of, like, simple, even childish, that is chewing gum. Like, there's a, yeah. a level of, like, being unconcerned and just sort of like enjoy being in the moment of like, yeah, I'm just chewing gum being here. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's, it struck me as like, okay, this first moment is about like, how can he be chewing gum? Like, it makes no sense for him to be chewing gum, at least in the, in Anna's perspective. So yeah. it's sort of like, wait, why doesn't it make sense that he's chewing gum? Oh, wait, it's because X, Y, and Z, because because he's blind, because of all these concerns, and yet he's chewing gum, and, but how can it be? And she goes into this spiral, like, uh, yeah, this exactly. pity, this concern. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the gum or the old man. It has to do with the contrast between Anna having basically her life solved, but mm -hmm. every single little moment where she's alone with her thoughts, uh, even if this is at home when everything is done and everything is clean and this dark murky hour which she talks about or this moment where she where she confirms that other people uh like an old man an old blind man chewing gum when she attests that this person is more carefree more careless than herself Yes. It, it it makes her go into this spiral of of anxiousness and and doubt and and be like this popping of the bubble basically. <laughs> yeah, it, it's sort of like it's a it's a sufficient opening of the sliver of opening of the door that like then comes flooding in quite intensely. It doesn't open much more, but that's enough for it to, like, be completely ajar. And on the other hand, the moment further on in the botanical gardens, where she's looking at the fruit and the insects and the ripeness and the maturity of them and yeah. growth and death and fermentation. Yeah, like this visceral, <laughs> organical world where things don't care about feelings, they just live and die and, and refeed life through death. It, it struck to me a lot like a moment where, because in a moment like she says that, or she thinks that like, oh, there's, how do I think these two? There's the, the old man chewing gum and there's the botanical gardens. And the gardens felt to me that they're like, oh, they are this observation, understanding of the present as a constant passing away that is gone. That is like, that is a sort of a a will unto death that is this permanent decay, this permanent ever encroaching death and putrefaction because there yeah. is like a nausea, there is a disgust there, yeah, which is very visceral. And I would be, I would be bold enough to say actually that this visceral, organical world has 
everything that this family world doesn't have, basically. <laughs> this visceral world, like I, I mean, I, I'm thinking, I think I'm stretching a bit here this this interpretation, but I mean this this thing of the smells and and fermentation and life and death, and and she even talks about like spiders and and little like if i i'm not wrong like birds and insects mm -hmm. and you just can think about like the the basic visceral reactions of of the animal world like reproduction eating and sleeping basically yeah and she's so so away of these basic notions because she she replaced her natural brain for this family, this mother figure, uh, but it's not a the nature's mother. Is the society Rio de Janeiro in the sixties mother, which <laughs> has to clean every day the same place and make everything neat and cook for her for her husband and and her kids and the sort of like almost almost being uh as i thought about foucault saying about uh how most uh most organized institutions are like prisons mm -hmm. and but but that is just such a meme that i i started laughing at myself like this household is basically a prison for her and i remember about that that joke that is like Foucault doing a stand-up and he's like, ah, uh, schools are like prisons. And then someone in the in the crowd says, ah, uh, tell tell us a new joke. Tell us something different. And all of his cards and skits are about prisons. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's this sort of shock, this contrast in the short story, because the middle class life it gets into such a spiral of faked feelings and faked reactions and everything is sort of a lighter perspective of what the world is and everything is cleaner and and excessively like hygienized and you know you know what i mean like this sort of the sort of of sensation of overly protective stuff which makes us go further away from our our origins mm -hmm. yeah it what is really striking about this moment in the botanical gardens is that contrast because we do have yeah. like she recognizes an unbelievable an exquisite beauty the exquisite life in the world but there is there is like this creeping nausea. There is like the decay. There is the end of these things. As ephemeral as the moment in the botanical gardens is and the considerations it carries, it's still, as you said, it's still much more intense and meaningful than her pre existing, pre ordained, uh, premeditated life, really. Yeah. And it, it's. There's this I will ne I will I'm not sure I'll ever be able to interpret this line properly, but <laughs> the garden was so pretty that she was afraid of hell, which is um, a hell of a thing. Yeah, but but that's perfect. I mean, it's it's basically the Garden of Eden and the yeah. uh, and the first like the first sin. Mm -hmm. And I keep yeah. thinking about how much of this. I'm not sure the time frame. But this reminds me so much of Sartre's nausea, because it's like, it's this moment amidst the trees, amidst the roofs, that like gives you this, uh, something isn't particularly right. Yeah. With me. Not, and the world too, but with me as well. And <laughs> me, me inside the world, basically. <laughs> perfect. It, yeah. It's, it's here, like, beneath her feet, the earth was soft. Anna inhaled it with delight. It was fascinating, and she felt nauseated. <laughs> and 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 then like, 
as we are go- slowly going through these aspects of the story in more detail, what happens next is that, like, reality kicks back in. Like, it's, oh, she remembered yeah. the children. Uh, so she like, oh, I need to go back into my duties. But, like, these reflections, these considerations don't go away. Like, yes, she has the pressure of, like, oh, I, I need to figure out my life as it always was. But, 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 uh, <laughs> this, this epiphany is not over yet. It's still wreaking havoc inside of her. And it's, like, that's the whole thing about it. It's not bad. It's difficult because it, it comes into a shock with what is her life now. And the idea that her life, all this organization, all this perfection that she thought she had achieved, it's an illusion. That's not real. And if it is real, then it is a true nightmare. One that she didn't mm-hmm. even realize she had. And, and then we we actually, like, I mean, we're going towards the end of the short story, but we can still go to the beginning to of talk course. about other things. But I just wanted to go through to the ending, which you said your thought was brutal. Yeah. To sort of wrap around this idea of this contrast of Anna and how she deals with it by not dealing with it, basically. <laughs> yeah, like, what we're treated to at the end is she returns home and she's still sort of in shock when she, like, she hugs one of her children and she's, like, shaking and crying. And the kid's like, what's going on? This is weird. And she's still in this moment of, like, deep emotion, deep thoughts, deep feeling, when everything, every little thing hits like a fucking truck. <laughs> That's exactly the feeling, man. Like, she, she's talking about her kids looking differently at her, and then they walk away, and it's almost like the if the kid was never going to come back, and it's this, melanc- like this melancholical, ultra-deep and and really sad thing of how like it's almost like it's the uh, as the the botanical garden had this decomposition it's almost like her household in, is having this this decomposition at night like the kids mm-hmm. go into their rooms and the light going away and everything is solved but everything is rotting at the same time because it's everything rotten from the inside and she doesn't feel well about everything even though the the layer the top layer of things are are shiny and beautiful but she's completely miserable inside and man it is it, as you said is everything hits like a fucking truck it it's the kids it, it's the sound of the boiling water making her scared it's <laughs> it's almost like uh she's psychotical basically yeah and in a way like she, what is so bizarre about this scene is that like, oh, like they're having some some uh, family over, so it's like, oh, gotta have dinner, gotta keep the kids up. I think it's yeah. it's it's two couples with both couples having kids, and they are all in this, and, and she's while she's having this basically this bad trip about life, she's cooking meat and cream and all of this things that are even more visceral and then she eats it with other families which look happy and they are laughing about everything and as i said earlier like those fake mechanical reactions when you're talking with a person that you basically have to live with that you don't even like (laughs) she seems like in a sense, she seems alienated from the world, but not the world in itself, the world she knew, the world she yeah. built for herself. That exactly. all felt alien to her, in a way that, like, wait, this is my life? Th- this is meaningless. It's, it's yeah. like she sees through the looking glass. Exactly. All that she had structured, like, the way that was her family, her home, her marriage, her children, her husband... All this felt like, oh no, is this it? Was that all? 
because in this one day she experienced all of it. She experienced all yeah. that she had shut herself off to, and that's why it was so intense. Because it's not that this came out of nowhere or whatever, but like this little thing, this tiny, tiny hint came through to what everything that she had forbade herself to even consider. And that's why it was so dreadful to her. Yeah. That's why it was, there was a desperation to confronting her own interiority at the start. It was like, she couldn't, but the situation, the epiphany happened anyway. And yeah. it, it, it did like brought her down intensely. It was very difficult. And at yeah. the end, that whole like duality of like the, the, Blind Man with Gum and the Botanical Garden comes through in a way that, like, humiliated, she knew the blind man would prefer a poorer love, and trembling, she also knew why. The life of the Botanical Garden was calling her as a werewolf is called by the moonlight. Oh, <laughs> but she loved the blind man, she thought with moist eyes. Yet this wasn't the feeling you'd go to church with. I'm scared, she said alone in the living room. She got up and went to the kitchen to help the maid with dinner. It's like, it's this intense understanding of, like, this carefree, in a way, or this posture of pity, and th there's no, uh, uh, there isn't the use of compassion in the text. It's pity. Towards the blind man, this sort of duty, it's overshadowed by the decay and the beauty in the botanical gardens. It is this, like, bright glowing flame but that goes away quite quickly it is this exactly. exquisite fruit ripe fruit but that rots away in the blink of an eye exactly that's the one that calls to her it, it's the only one that is accessible to her now and i again this this goes off but it might be as i think about it like her life the way it's structured she needs this intensity the present, a content in the present, is impossible because this present is dreadful. She needs this exactly. absolute intensity, this perfect ripeness, even if it is like entrenched in decay, in fermentation, in yeah. mold. It needs to be consumed. Yeah, but, but that's exactly what we were talking earlier about the visceral and organical things. Like, uh, talking in almost like nature like characteristics i mean she living in such a, a pristine clean environment it's almost like there's a call for going back to to dirtiness basically like mm -hmm. to to being like because there's this notion we have that being dirty is bad mm -hmm. but it's not that it's just that it's the cycle as well of cleaning and dirtying and cleaning and dirtying and, and and this sort of balance and in this case she doesn't have this balance and it, it all it almost sounds grotesque and 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 gross when they say that she wants when, when we are talking about she wanting this rottenness and needing this this decay to feel well but it's it's just a moment of going back to balance Mm -hmm. Yeah, that 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 seems to make a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense inside this complete crazy reflection that we're trying to make out of this crazy short story, which <laughs> doesn't have anything obvious or or explicit. But yeah, we try. <laughs> yeah, nothing's given to you in this short story. You need to take it exactly. yourself, uh, which is yeah. quite fun, especially with a short text like. You can't go off and it's not exhausting. Yeah. But I'm going to have to eat my own words because I said there was no mention of compassion. But that's like, oh, right in the next paragraph. A night on which compassion was raw as bad love. <laughs> which, oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just going to add up that it's, it's really fun to reread this short story given that Basically, me and Frank are like modern romantics, <laughs> and then we had that we had lots of 
uh, relationships and that we at a certain time speak for yourself in... yeah. <laughs> and and that we had like relationships that were almost like how can I say it? it it sounds too cheesy to say that oh like true love and and loving like this sort of the same love that Anna has and and now that uh, we were both single and looking back at this looking to this short story called love after being loved and being heartbroken and 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 starting things and meeting new people and then ending things again. And it, it, it's just such a, a different experience because as, as I was trying to say earlier, like this is our, our, we are trying to interpret this, but I mean, I think that reading this short story to a person that has never had any meaningful contact and doesn't know what love is, like romantical love is to them and seeing the story about a person freaking out about having a family and, and kids it, it must hit completely different because it, it's almost like it's not understandable why she's so freaked out if she has everything that she wanted to to have basically that's the whole point of the story like she rooted for this life she wanted this and there she is with everything that she worked for having a mental breakdown. Yeah, I'm thinking about this before we head off to the end. I think like, because it's very weird. It, it's for a story called Love. It goes in ways <laughs> you absolutely did not expect or imagine. Exactly, yeah. And yet... Even to me, like, I'm not sure, I, I I don't know about you, like, you may, <laughs> speaking about for myself, I cannot relate yeah. to the type of love that she's talking about. It feels way too strange, and it may be on account of the epiphany, it may be on account of, like, just the raw intensity in connection to, like, this brutal and difficult reflection that's been, that hit her, but mm -hmm. to me, like, this love feels less like sort of a full-fledged notion, idea, or even emotion, and it's almost like an impulse, an impulse to love, and an impulse that like... But you're talking about the love that she has for her family, or the love that is basically impregnates her her day, the, that love from the botanical garden? And, oh, I'm talking about things. the family, about the romantic ah, gardens, okay. it's... Uh, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just want to say, just do a little remark, like, I can relate to that love, mm -hmm. but being really honest, I can relate to that love when I was basically like one day off breaking, uh, breaking up with my ex-girlfriend. In a way, I simulated this sort of relation of, to make a, a short story about what happened in my life. Like I dated a girl for almost four years, which we dated in like, it was a long distance relationship. And it was also uh, like a secret because her dad uh, didn't want her to, to date anyone. And he was really like bizarre and strict and all of those things. And this created a, a environment where I tried to do everything sort to protect this girl and she wanted this protection because her life was so miserable that doing this sort of uh this role as a protector and as this figure that was going to do almost the same thing as the the husband does to anna i basically did that but when i attested that i was was that figure and that i needed to do that every day to make this girl happy I noticed that I was throwing my life away and that I didn't want that. So I, yeah, I, I can relate, but I relate in a terrible way because I don't want that to my life ever again. Yeah, you, you were in a position where like you could turn away from this sort of 
consuming, destructive situation and harming to both, really. Where in this, like, it's... It sadly feels like she's in too deep. She isn't. But that's the sentiment, I think. That, like, that's it. That's the marriage. That's the children. That's... That's the reality she has to deal with for the rest of her life, and too bad. And I think now we, we can get to like that very end, which that that ending is it, it is too much. Yeah. So uh, she the her husband drops like the coffee pot, I think, or something, or a mug, whatever. And like it, it makes a noise, and she's worried that it was like the um, the stove, like or the oven popping, like maybe catching fire. <laughs> so she runs towards him, and like in a panic, and he's like, "Wait, what's what's going on?" And she's like, "Still like, oh, I, I don't want anything to happen to you or whatever." And like she he hugs him like protectively and uh, caringly, it feels. But then yeah. then we have this final sequence, and I, I'll read it in full. Yeah. She stayed limp in his arms. This afternoon, something tranquil had burst, and a humorous, sad tone was hanging over the house. Time for bed, he said. It's late. In a gesture that wasn't his, but that seemed natural, he held his wife's hand, taking her along without looking back, removing her from the danger of living. The dizziness of benevolence was over, and, if she had passed through love and its hell, she was now combing her hair before the mirror, for an instant with no world at all in her heart. Before going to bed, as if putting out a candle, she blew out the little flame of the day. And that's how we end. Yeah. Like, the whole... <laughs> and the idea, again, is that, like, this reflection, it dies, and it bears no fruit. Because it yeah. is, like, a little flame... And that's yeah, it. After uh, after all this machination and fermentation and this almost like drop of venomous thinking about the world and, and this possibility and thinking about how everything could change and everything could be different and then she slips and it's over. Yeah, I I was thinking about like this, this raw emotion, like this overbearing feeling of love and it's interesting, like, I, I probably have felt it before, like, while in a relationship, if for a brief moment or circumstance, but it comes more often, because of, like, a matter of time, really, of how long I've been aware of this, uh, and how yeah. times I've been in a relationship, uh, but for my friends, like, some nights you're just, like, sort of sad, or just, like, everything hits strongly, and you're just, like, these relationships, the people dearest to me, yeah. The, these friendships, these connections, I feel like they're they're everything. And then it's like, ah, yeah. oh, <laughs> it's hard to describe. It's this overbearing like compassion, and it, it it's a love that is more and different and can be the same, but it can also be different from the romantic one. It is like. The connection we establish with another human being to yeah. th this real, true solidarity. Exactly. The, the word solidarity is perfect because it's almost this urge to love another person. Yes. And to care about other person, basically. Yes. And, and that's what I think stems like that. And I think last week or this past week was like Che's birthday. And Che talked about like this revolutionary love. And I think that is so fucking true that the mm -hmm. revolutionary is driven by a deep sense of love because uh, like that's that's solidarity that's a love that's caring that's compassion that that's where all these things like that's where christian compa compassion and charity that's like revolutionary love that's solidarity that's where all these things sort of come together because yeah. it is this raw intense. It's raw, but it's also deeply worked out emotion that is like, it is everything. It is an intensity and it's true beauty of like caring about someone else that is not you. Someone that yeah. is different. Someone that is, that is living through hell 
or that has lived through it or that will live through it in someone who is not you and that th- therein lies this this revolutionary love and like bread from Revlet was talking about this as well this past week about how like this love that must also be driven towards ourselves too the, the, uh, we draw this compassion towards others but we need to also drive it into ourselves so we can also face this world so we can also face ourselves our difficulties our challenges exactly exactly and have and have a, a mi- minimal sense of interiority which anna doesn't have any absolutely and this yeah. is what is so cruel and so difficult about this ending because and i don't think it's malicious really because it's like in the husband in the gesture that wasn't his he helps to kill this epiphany this deep exactly. feeling but the way like this wasn't his gesture it is something beyond him like he is perpetrating this and in the way he is responsible but it's something that comes from above from outside yeah. a societal pressure and existence like that derives our meanings and that pushes our meanings towards our work, our jobs, and not in the connections, in the love that we feel towards another human being, in whatever shape or form that might take. And yeah, if if to take a lesson from this is to like to not let it be blown out like the flame of the day, to question all these efforts to snuff out this flame of love, as intense and overwhelming as it might be. Because this bright, burning, lovable fire needs to be bright. Because it, it needs to be tended, of course. It, it cannot consume ourselves, but it needs to be tended. It needs to be fueled in a way that like helps us love us and others. Not in a blind way, but in one that is deeply conscious, deeply aware of the differences, the challenges... That we must face in ourselves, others, and as, as, in the society, in capitalism. Yeah, yeah. The revolutionary is moved by a deep feeling of love, and it may be a bit of a stretch to use this short story to talk about it, but I'm definitely <laughs> doing it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I should say the same, but I mean, you you justified so so uh, beautifully in this ending that I'm not going to reiterate you but i'm not going to go against you <laughs> i mean if you have anything else you want to say with against me or extra feel free to no no I, i mean i think i i already said the the thing that i want to talk about to end all of this is mm-hmm. this is a really i mean it, it would be good if the people who are listening would actually read the story because it's really like an experience i mean yes, we definitely. can we can only we can only go so far inside the the discussion that it that it has and what it means to us but i mean it's it parisi was really well translated there's lots of of her works in english so we i would completely uh recommend for the people listening to read the story and know her and and try to go through this experience and even if you hate it uh <laughs> well at least at least you know that you hate Clarice Lispector and you don't want to read her anymore which is but fair. if you love it yeah but if you love it i mean it, it it really is a nice experience it's almost like uh going to someone who never listened to dark side of the moon and going like oh you should listen to this this uh this album like all of the songs <laughs> in, in order and in your room in the dark probably smoking a, a joint and like it's all it's almost like the, the same kind of recommendation like man do this because it, it will have a, a nice effect on your life basically <laughs> it, it, so it, yeah it is it is i i wholly agree yeah so yeah that's it that i wanted to say i think we we'll wrap this up around here yeah like this This was a trip. <laughs> yeah, this was a trip. I, I, again, I did not expect to go... Like, I feel... I, I think I have some closure, though, because I finally was able to give the love in this story some meaning. Yeah. <laughs> because I had never, like, gotten, like, okay, I get some of the things going on, I get the epiphany, I get some of the challenges, but why is it called love? 
Exato. <laughs> you agreed in Portuguese. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I just thought about that. <laughs> I'll leave it in, because that was quite perfect, because it, it hit you so deep, you went back into the, your maternal language. back to the native language, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was amazing, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But yeah, like, I'm happy we did this short story, like, this was really fun. And yeah. really intense, good God. Uh, yeah, so, this was, yeah, this was, this was great. fun. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, yeah. Again, the short story is in the show notes that I found. So please ch check it out if you haven't already. Quite short, quite interesting. Maybe it'll help understand some of what we talked about. Or maybe it'll confuse you more. Either way, yeah. that's kind of what the st short story does. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to check us out elsewhere, we're on Twitter at LeftPagePod. I'm always sharing, talking, a, a bunch of stuff there. And I've been using my uh, direct private Twitter a lot for, like, other writing stuff, weird fun stuff, at Gothic Frank. So you feel free to check me out there. Uh, beyond that, like, we have our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash left page. If you can contribute to our work, it would be really helpful. And we yeah. have been getting on top of things, finally, since last month. Yeah. So I have at least one uh, reading corner ready. I want to try and come up with another one for this month. But I have one that's, like... Yeah, no, this ended up being quite convenient that I'm reading and it's going to fit him perfectly. Uh, and, yeah. the, and we are working out our poetry club, which should be coming out at some point this month. So no worries, yeah, yeah. No worries about that. Like, I feel like things are working out, which, you know, all things considered, it's, it takes its time. And I, <laughs> I've felt guilty about it for a while, but I'm like, we're doing what we can and it's been working yeah. out. So thank yeah. you so much to everyone that, like, supports us on Patreon and helps keep us running too and like just everyone that listens like it means the world to us that like we say stuff that like people find interesting and useful so like yeah. thank you we're gonna keep doing yeah, yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> yeah if, if, if it helps or entertains anyone it's already nice exactly I couldn't put it better myself yeah so I think that's it from us for now it's, our next episode should be our Halloween special so that's gonna yeah. be something. Expect, expect a lot because oh good god, I. <laughs> that's gonna that's be a fun. Good yeah, that's gonna <laughs> be fun. So thank you so much for listening, and to the next one. <laughs>